We just started a new message series at Life.Church. It's called No Offense. Uh, when I first saw the title, I looked at it from a sports perspective, like no offense. You know, I mean, give me a break. You know, football season's just started, and so that's kind of in my mind. Uh, because if you don't have a good offense, you don't score points. And if you don't score points, you're going to lose. So I could have been right, but I wasn't. So the first message was about how we're all offended at some time. Some of us are more easily offended than others. Some of us get really offended at just about anything. You know, we can get offended going to the grocery store. You know, and I'm one of those people. Okay, if I'm going down the aisle and there's this person, they have their cart kind of sideways in the aisle with their hand on the cart and they're looking at something on the other side. So whether they realize it or not, they completely have the aisle blocked off. I mean, give me a break. And another thing while we're still in the store, if I've only purchased a couple of things and I I don't go to the self-checkout unless I absolutely have to, okay, because I don't get paid by these stores. So I, I go and try to help somebody keep their job. But you go to the aisle that's 20 items or less, okay? And there's somebody there that's starting to put their stuff onto the belt, and their cart is full. I mean, they've got like 60 items or more. And I'm thinking, ah, you know, why doesn't the associate working there say, you know, see the sign, 20 or less? I think you got more than that. Why don't you go down to one of the other aisles or the self-checkout? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and we can get offended in our car, you know, by that person that cuts you off or never uses their turning signal as they swerve from lane to lane, um, or somebody that gets right on your tail and can pass you but doesn't. Um, we can get offended on social media. That's so easily done. Uh, because if you have any kind of convictions and somebody uh, comes against those, you can become quite offended. You can get offended at work. You know, you work hard and never get any credit. And these other people that, you know, are constantly doing nothing and they're getting promotions and raises. We can get offended with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with our neighbors, you know, we can get offended, you know, with anybody for anything or nothing. Well, Pastor Craig Groeschel went on to tell us how we can be less offended and to look at our lives and to see what we need to be doing differently. As always, the ultimate answer is the same. More of God, less of me. That applies to every part of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you're with us when we seem to be doing right and going in the right direction and 
things are going well, and Lord, you don't leave us when we find ourselves uh, making mistakes, doing things that you and I both know we shouldn't do. Father, I praise you for that. So Lord, just be with us now as we look at your message and see what it is that you want us to get from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in my weekly podcast, I, I guess, allude to salvation, but I don't elaborate. So in this message, I'm going to try and do that and talk about what salvation is or what salvation is to me and how I perceive what salvation means. Um, Several years ago, my wife and I went up to Toronto to the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. Uh, And one thing they kept emphasizing during those three days that we were there is you have to give people opportunity to respond to the message that you've just given. Makes sense. Okay, I mean, when you go to a used car lot, the salesman doesn't tell you all about the car and then never ask you if you're interested in purchasing. No, he wants to close the deal. And it's the same at your friendly furniture store or any other kind of retailer like that. Okay, they're always there to give you the deal of a lifetime. You know, it's a good thing you came in today. You know, well, with salvation, it's a good thing you came in today as well. So the the deal, if you want to call it that, of salvation is so much more. So let's begin with a definition of salvation. Okay, this is a, a secular dictionary definition. Preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. A source or means of being saved from harm, ruin, or loss. His only salvation was to outfly the enemy. Makes sense. But now it takes a turn here with the second definition. Deliverance from sin and its consequences believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. The Christian gospel of salvation for all mankind. Okay, and here's some uh, synonyms. Redemption, deliverance, saving, help, reclamation. Okay, deliverance from sin and its consequences. That's pretty accurate for a secular dictionary. Of course, it went on to say that it's believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. It's like saying, this is the opinion of the speaker, and we do not necessarily support that opinion. Okay, so they've got to leave an out for themselves. So salvation is an act of its own. It's not connected with anything else, such as church membership or baptism or confirmation or First Holy Communion or whatever it might be. One thing that I would always point out in the United Methodist Hymnal, Baptism Covenant Two. Holy baptism for children and others unable to answer for themselves. Okay, this is what it says in there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit, 
All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Most of that would be negative, okay? We are not, okay, we are not incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation, or are we given new birth through water and the Spirit? So, in talking with parents that were going to be getting their children baptized, babies baptized, I would explain to them what was really happening in baptism, that they in the congregation are taking on the responsibility of raising that child to hopefully one day enter into salvation. Baptism is not needed for salvation. <coughs> I got into a discussion about this one time after a funeral that I had done about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Okay, where Jesus said, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus didn't say, after you get baptized. Okay, and the person that I was talking to said, well, but it rained. Well, Scripture doesn't tell us that it rained. It only says that it got dark for those three hours. So I kind of think, that was the end of the conversation. So what is salvation? Well, to some, it's really nothing more than fire insurance, knowing where you will spend eternity. Sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Personally, it costs you nothing, but it gives you everything. Um, now, that's certainly reassuring, but there's so much more to it than that. Salvation is meant to change your life from the moment you are saved here on earth, not just once you die. When Jesus went to Bethany, after Lazarus had died, he had this exchange with Martha in John 11, beginning in verse 25. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Okay, salvation's life begins now, when you're saved. So there has to be more to it than simply fire insurance. In John 14, Jesus let us know that he's the only way of salvation. Okay, starting in verse 4, Jesus says, You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, different translations say, by way of me, or no one can come apart from me. Just like Jesus said in John 10, 7, he says, I'm the gate. Okay, in order to get where you want to go, you got to go through me, is what Jesus was saying. That there's, there's no other way. Okay, you can try to find another way, but you're not going to. Okay, in Acts chapter 4, we find the new improved Peter. 
Okay, he's just been strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And now he speaks with boldness. He and John have been arrested. They're taken before Annas and Caiaphas and others to be questioned. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 12, Acts 4, referring to Jesus, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter was able to speak the truth boldly because of salvation. He was a different person than before Christ's resurrection. Like Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So now we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Okay, verse 15 dispels the fire insurance only idea. Okay, we don't only live for ourselves. Paul is telling us that salvation makes us a new person, a new creation. Okay, not a redone person or a restructured creation, but the old is gone. Okay, what was there is totally gone and has been replaced with something totally new. So you are going to look the same, but you're not going to quite be the same. Okay, you'll, you'll look less stressed, and I think you'll be more sure of yourself, and you'll be less burdened than you were before. You'll be happier, you'll be more confident, more focused once you have Christ in your life and you're living for him, not just relying on fire insurance. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he tells us this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Two very important things in this verse. One, it's God. Okay, it's a gift of God. The second thing is, it's not you. Okay, you didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You don't deserve it. Okay, it's just something that is given to you. And that is really the third thing. It's a gift. Okay, it's nothing that you have to do anything for. Okay, let me put number one and number three together there. Salvation is a gift from God. How does that work, you ask? Well, like this. Okay, Jesus came to earth born as a baby. He never sinned, making him the perfect sacrifice. 
no, wait a minute. What is this perfect sacrifice stuff? Okay, the Jews believed, still believe, that you have to sacrifice something to be rid of your sin. A lamb, a dove, a bull, a goat, whatever it was. But whatever it was you were sacrificing had to be perfect, had to be without spot or blemish, couldn't be lame, couldn't be a dove that couldn't fly, it couldn't be, you know, a, a sheep or a goat that, you know, was disformed somehow. It had to be perfect, had to look perfect, and, you know, would be scrutinized to, you know, see whether or not it was perfect. Okay, and so Jesus became that perfect sacrifice okay, because he was without sin, lived 33 years, give or take, and never sinned. So going on, Jesus was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. <coughs> Excuse me. And he died there, and he was buried, put into a, a tomb that didn't belong to him or his family. And on the third day, God gave him new life, the first to be risen from the dead. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about Lazarus? Okay, Lazarus was raised from the dead, along with others. Okay, but let's take Lazarus, because he'd been dead for four days, all right, and was given new life, but that's it. Okay, he was given new earthly life. And when we're talking about Jesus being raised from the dead, okay, he was raised to spiritual life. So if we believe these things to be true, we are born again. We are saved. We're given new life. We're born from above. We have salvation. We've received Jesus. Whatever it is that you want to call it, Okay, we are now that new creation. Let me share Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Okay, where Paul says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Okay, this is all part of God's plan. Okay, this is why Jesus came to earth to accomplish all of these things. So just think for hundreds of years, People have been coming into relationship with Jesus the same way that we can today. Nothing has changed. Well, why is that? I mean, we always look at things that, you know, well, 100 years ago, that was really a good idea and worked really well, but now you never would do something that way. Well, this has been hundreds of years and nothing has changed because of one thing, the plan was perfect. You cannot improve 
on perfection. So what happens when we make this this commitment? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. It gives us the, the first thing that we need to do once we have made this commitment to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone, okay, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a lot packed in to those few verses. The first thing, belief starts in the heart. When we talk about Jesus being in our heart, this comes from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, this is the only place that it talks about Jesus being in our hearts. Okay, that is why Paul said that we need to believe in your heart. Okay, this is opposed to believing in your mind. Okay, you can have a scholarly knowledge of Jesus. Okay, you can know the Gospels. You can, you know, quote things, scripture, chapter and verse, and, and all, but you've got to believe it in your heart. Because the second important thing from this passage is you need to declare with your mouth. Some Christians say, well, my faith is just between me and God. Well, once you've made commitment to the Lord, you need to tell somebody. If you believe that the Lord has made you a new creation, why wouldn't you want to tell the whole world that you're not who you used to be, that you are someone new? that at that moment you are perfection. Tell them with your mouth, but also show them with your life. Not or, but in addition to the mouth and the life. Luke tells us this in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, When the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Okay, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Okay, that's not something that's just natural for most people to do. Okay, if we've truly given our lives to the Lord, people will see a difference. Some people will be overjoyed. Some people will make fun of you, turn their backs on you, you know, exclude you because they don't like the new you. They don't like what they see. They don't like what they hear. 
and you'll see changes that you need to make in your life that maybe some of those friends that you've had really aren't the kind of people that you need in your life right now. And some of the things that you do, you know, you look at that and say, wow, you know, I've been doing that my whole life and I really shouldn't be doing that. And your language, you know, you'll start catching yourself, especially taking the Lord's name in vain. You'll say, well, that's not good. I can't do that. Activities, your family, things are going to change because maybe they don't agree with who you are now. All these things and more can be obstacles to your growth in the Lord. He'll show you what needs to stay. He'll show you what needs to go. He'll show you where you, you need to be attending church. He'll show you how you need to be serving him. He'll show you how you need to be generous in your giving. He'll show you all these things as your life progresses and as you grow in him and become stronger through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to end with a hymn <clears throat> that speaks to your new life in Christ. Uh, it's an old one, but listen to the words. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for, for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wanderings and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which were many, are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. I shall go there to dwell in that city I know since Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy, as onward I go since Jesus came into my heart. And the refrain for that goes simply like this. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. Let him in, become who he wants you to be, who he needs you to be in the family. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for my brothers and sisters that, that know you, have maybe given their lives to you many years ago, or maybe just last week. But Lord, they know you, they love you, and they want to serve you. But Lord, sometimes we we fall down. Sometimes we we move away from you. You never move away from us, but sometimes we move away from you. <clears throat> Father, help us to see how we can back get ourselves back to where we need to be and to strengthen that relationship. That, Lord, that day that we gave our lives to you, Father, we were mighty warriors. And sometimes over the years or the months or the weeks, we take off some of the armor or we lay down our sword. So, Father, help us to pick it back up and be ready to fight the good fight that you've given us. And, Lord, I, I lift up anyone that may be listening that, that doesn't know you, never made that commitment to you. And this salvation stuff is something that is new to them. <coughs> or maybe they've been turned off by people that say they're born again or whatever they claim to be. 
Lord, let them know that they're not joining a, a, a group of people when they commit to you, that they're committing their lives to you. Lord, and let them know that the scriptures give us what we need to believe, that your son Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and that he did die on the cross for our sins, and that he did come to new life after three days, and he said he's coming again. So, Father, let him pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. The only Savior is your Son, Jesus. I give my life to you. Lord, help me live the life you want me to live and to grow and to become strong and to become faithful to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.